and welcome to another episode of Speaking Culturally. Today we are joined by Jeff Mills, uh, beat reporter at the Greensboro News and Record. Uh, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So we're looking at this whole North Carolina A&T leaving the MEAC and going into the Big South. You cover A&T, so what does this mean? What does this mean for the university, uh, dollars and cents, and exposure-wise? Um, it's an interesting. It was a move that, that, that caught a lot of us by surprise. I, th- I think a lot of us expected some sort of a move to happen in the next few years, um, just because their football team has, has has had so much success recently, and there's been some noise about them going moving up to FBS. But I don't think that we saw the Big South coming. It was an interesting move. I, I, I think I. I understand both ends of this. For uh, for A and T to move into the Big South, it still will play um, FCS football in a league that is uh, rated just a little bit better in terms of level of competition than the MEAC. Uh, when you get into ratings, percentage indexes, and stuff like that, this is a league that has had its champion gets an automatic qualifying into the, into the FCS playoffs, and it's had a, an at-large team five of the last six years too. So it's it's, it's a pretty good football league. But it's an it's an interesting move for A and T too in terms of if you look outside of football, there are A and T will be will be one of eleven full time members of the conference and all eleven of those schools are in North Carolina, South Carolina and Virginia. So A and T will save a ton of money on travel. There there'll be no more trips to Florida, no more trips to Delaware to play league games. Every everything every trip they make in the league for sports other than football Will be a bus ride. Uh, I think I think the longest bus ride that they, that uh, I was talking to their baseball coach. And he said their longest bus ride could be, you know, Charleston, which isn't isn't terrible at all. When you when you can, when you look at it now, it's their longest bus rides are over Delaware and and sometimes down to Daytona to play Bethune Cookman and sometimes down to Tallahassee to play Florida A and M. So the, it, it, from a travel perspective, their non-revenue, non-football sports will save a ton of money. And, um, in terms of exposure, um, the Big South has a has a deal with ESPN where all of their sports are on ESPN Plus, and that's something that, that they don't have right now in the MEAC, so it could be more exposure. It's just it's from from a from a purely college collegiate statistic or, or from a purely collegiate standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But you know, then you get into what they what they what they're what they're giving up with leaving the MEAC. That's a conference that they helped. The charter back in 1971, they were one of the founding members. That's an all-HBCU conference. There's a lot of traditional, a lot of old, old rivalries there. So it's it's one of those things that uh, I think the guy that uh, led their search committee, Tim uh, Tim King, said it best. That this was a this was their them making a decision with their head and not their hearts. Now, when you think about it, I mean, Gardner Webb is in the Big South. Uh, A and T has fared well uh, against Gardner Webb. Uh, uh, Charleston Southern is there, and I believe they, they beat them as well. Did they beat? I, I believe they fared well against them as uh, when they played them last. But when I when I think about the pageantry that's involved with MEAC football, how does that translate to the Big South as far as the bands and? Uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that remains to be seen. It's gonna be interesting to see how that works out um, because they're. A and T also, you know, by making this move, um, Kennesaw State is in the conference as a as a, as a um, associate member for football only. You take them out of the mix, and A and T is the biggest school in the league now in terms of enrollment. You know, it's it, 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 there's one other HBCU in that league. Hampton made the move from the MEAC to the Big South, 
after the 2017-18 school year. So they've been in that league for, what, two years now. So now you have Hampton and, and uh, A&T are, are HBCUs playing in this league, but the rest of the schools, you know, it's, it's, it's not. It's, it's, they're, they're smaller smaller schools, regional schools. I mean, you're looking at schools like Radford and, like you said, Gardner-Webb, Charleston Southern, even High Point. So in terms of the, you talk about the pageantry of, of uh, HBCU football, they're going to be giving that up, you know, for to a certain extent. You know, there's not going to be a fifth quarter with the bands playing in the stands after the game's over because outside of Hampton and and uh, and A and T, uh, I'll tell you a story. A couple of years ago, when A and T went 12 and 0, they opened that season at Gardner Webb and they won down there. And they brought the band down. It was their first game, and that the, that halftime show was the Bruno Mars halftime show that went viral on YouTube. Um, it was a great show, obviously, and uh, the Gardner fan, Gardner Web fans, were in love with it. I mean, they, they all stayed in their seats for halftime, which that's normally a place where you get up and you leave at halftime to go get your concessions and whatnot. But they stayed put uh, because the show was just so good. And the other thing about that is, Gardner Web band played the national anthem before the game. Well, Gardner Webb's band is a 25-member marching band. That's it, 25 members. They played. They did a great job on the national anthem. But when you can, when you contrast that to A&T, they've got 25 trumpets. You know, it's a, it's just it's just there's not a comparison there. It's a completely different level of. It's a just completely different different level. Now you say it's a different. How does this impact the band any? Oh, that's a good question. I, I think that's one of the things that remains. There's a lot that remains to be seen about this. You know, it's it's it's. You know, just a couple of days old. The move is a couple of days old, and it won't happen for another whole for, another, for a whole another year. Uh, A&T will play one last season in the MEAC in 2020, 2021. So, uh, I think a lot of details have to be worked out between now and then. Uh, someone on on Twitter brought up a point that uh, um, A&T's band before every home game plays the national anthem, but they also play "Lift Every Voice and Sing." Will they still do that? Well, I, I would hope so. I mean, that, I mean that's part of the tradition of uh, of the school. I would hope they would continue to do that. But you know, it's a it's a valid question. I mean, does, does that change? I hope not. I'm just you know, as an Aggie, you know, for full disclaimer, I just I when I heard of the move, the first thing that I questioned was, how does this impact the things that go on around the game? You know, like you said, the playing of lift every voice and sing, the band playing in general. Uh, you have the the golden delights. You have so many, you have so many aspects to the black college experience that's now going to be watered down some until they play Hampton, and then even then it's just like oh you know so happy to see you my former Miak brother you know so I, I just wonder how they're going to go about keeping true to what A and T is. And in light of the, the move, I'm, I'm not so much worried about that. I think I think that um, I talked with Hampton's AD yesterday about, about their move, and he, he made an interesting point. Uh, his, his name is Eugene Marshall, uh, very very uh, scholarly and, and uh, nice man. Um, he pointed out, you know, just because you move to the Big South, you're still an HBCU, and you still have HBCU traditions, and you're always going to be an HBCU. That won't change. What, what, what will change is, you know, your road game experience is going to be different just because you're not going to a fellow HBCU for your, for your league games anymore, except for Hampton. But I think the home atmosphere, I don't think that will change all that much. I think that the, that when they played, when, when A&T played Elon this year, that was a great experience for 
it was a home game against a, a team from the Colonial that you know, is obviously not an HBCU, but that was a great home game experience that, you know, and they drew 16,000 fans for that game on Labor Day weekend. It was a tremendous home experience. I think that you're still going to have that kind of pageantry and and what you've come to expect from, a, from A&T games in the past, I think it's your home games. I think what's going to change is your road games, and that, that will be different. Now, I think the one of the biggest differences uh... – that I've been seeing on Twitter and other social media platforms. What does this mean for the game at the end of every se- football season against North Carolina Central? <laughs> yeah, I, I know that uh, A&T would like to continue that rivalry just because the fan bases are so intertwined. You know, that, that's, a, that's a rivalry that goes back for years and years and years. Even when um, even when Central was playing Division II football, that, that game still happened every year. Um, and I think that, 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 that both sides would probably like to continue that. Um, I doubt very seriously that it will be at the end of the year anymore. I could I could see that becoming like the first game of the season every year. I could see that happening. But, again, that's just speculation, uh, and they, have, they would have to work stuff like that out. It'll be interesting that that's no, no longer a league game, but quite frankly, it hasn't been a league game for very long when you look back at it. Um, you know, for, for years, you know, they played in different leagues and just would meet in the Aggie Eagle Classic at some neutral site. So, um Maybe you go back to something like that where they play where they play the game in Raleigh or in Charlotte or you know someplace like that you know i i would I'd love I'd love to see the game stay on campus. I think that's really a really cool experience for both teams when when a and t goes down to Durham or when Central comes up to greensboro it's a it's a really cool event and i think I think that there's enough interest on the fan bases, and I would hope the administrations of both schools to to see that one continue on a year-by-year basis. Uh, I think that's, I think that's an, important, an important enough game that, that that one should continue. And particularly if, it, if, they, if both schools remain at the FCS level, um, because it's a game that can be valuable to you too in terms of you know your, your resume for the postseason. Now, I've heard this, this, this statement that uh, this was for money, that I've heard that it was for exposure. Is it a combination of the two, or what really prompted this move? Um, I think it was a combination of the two. Um, there's a, I think that there's, there's going, there's a, there's a tremendous, you can't discount the travel piece. A&T fields 17 sports, you know, and 16 of those sports are not football. And they have to, they had their travel, but they, they spent $1.4 million in travel expenses last year. And they think they can, they can, they can cut that by about a third by making this move. That's a significant amount of money when you're talking about a school whose athletics budget is right around $13 million. You know, if you're going to save that much money on your, in your travel. And the other part about, the other part about this too is that um, when you're not traveling that much, your students are on campus more and your student athletes are on campus more. And I think, I think that was really the, the driving piece of this is that they have exit interview surveys with their athletes every year. Consistently, the complaint is it is too hard to be a college athlete when you've got to worry about practices and all that stuff, and then you throw in the amount of travel that we do. You know, it's, it's very hard for us to make up our class time. In this league where all of your trips are bus trips and a lot of them are just day trips where you're not even, you don't even have to stay overnight, you're, you're, you're going to be able to have your athletes – on campus more often, making it easier for them to get to class and stay in class. Um, I think that was probably the motivating factor more than the exposure even and more than the financial stuff is that um, is, is that they were looking at this, at least the administration was looking at this from an athlete's perspective in terms of well-being. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what what this looks like uh, when, when A&T enters the Big South. I mean, it's, it's 
Because when you think about basketball games, too, where you're used to the doubleheaders where the women would play first and the men would play, uh, that's going to be a thing of the past going forward. What about when, when they do play Hampton? Will that be something that could happen uh, going forward? You know, that's a good question. I, I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good question. That, that, that would be interesting if, if, if Hampton would agree to do that. That would be sort of a throwback for them, too. Yeah, that's an, that's an interesting point. I mean, that might be might be something that could happen. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I, I don't know. It's, it, it'll be interesting though, because they, they, they also they'll play on different they'll play on different days now too. So those those weekend road trips where you play the game on Saturday and you stay over play the game on Monday, then you come home will be different now because the the, the games will be probably um, either Wednesday or Thursday and Saturday instead of Saturday Monday. So because and because it's bus trips, it, it'll, it'll be just there and back. Now, what are the financial guarantees with this deal? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. Um, I do know that there's a there's a $250,000 buyout and exit fee from the MEAC that, that, that uh, A&T will have to pay. And the uh, entry fee into the Big South is um, $381,000, and that's payable over three installments over three years. So, you know, you're looking at having to come up with – you know, my math's not that great, but what's that? It's more than $600,000 you're going to have to come up with to buy out of one and buy into the other. You would hope that the, 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 the financial piece is, is worthwhile for that. It does free them up to do – this is something that, that, that I learned from Hampton yesterday, too, is that Hampton has been able to make its own separate deals for sponsorships that aren't tied to the Big South the way that when they were in the MEAC – Stuff went through the MEAC. Hampton has its own agreement with Under Armour, for instance, whereas, you know, the MEAC schools all wear whatever the MEAC decides they're going to wear. Um, A&T can now, can now make, broker its own deal in terms of, you know, whether they want to try to go with Nike or Under Armour or Russell Athletic or Adidas or whoever. Uh, they can broker their own deal in terms, of, in terms of that stuff. And that's not a small piece, I'm sure. When you, when you, when you get into the shoe and apparel companies, that's not a small percentage. Um, the exposure will be better on ESPN than it is now in uh, in the MEAC through, you know, when, when a handful of your games are on Flow Sports or streamed on Flow, Flow Sports and some of your football games are on ESPNU, well, in the Big South, you've got ESPN Plus for everything and then the occasional game on ESPNU. So I think it's it's, it's better in, term, in, in those terms. There's a lot, there's a, there's a, so many moving parts <laughs> when, it, when it comes to this. So, and so much is being discovered as we head this as we head down this road, I mean I've covered A and T now since 2008, and this is you know a seismic shift compared to anything that's happened before. Well, I guess we'll just sit back and and wait and see what the the first year of of A and T in the Big South uh, looks like, and I'm definitely looking forward to going to homecoming that year to see what what it looks like. I think homecoming won't change, and here's here, there's been some angst about that, but I don't think that will change because I remember when. Um, A&T hired Rod Broadway to come in here and turn the pro- turn the football program around. One of the first homecoming games he scheduled was against something called Virginia University of Lynchburg, which isn't even an NCAA school. Um, I'm not sure what, con- what 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 affiliation they have, but uh, they played a homecoming game against against that team, and they still sold that one out. Homecoming, there's nothing to worry about there. Homecoming is more about playing a MEAC team in, in, a, in a football game. It's about that whole eight day experience and capped by a football game against somebody. So homecoming is not one you have to worry about. A few of the non-league games are something you have to worry about. What you, what you worry about if you're an A&T football fan is, will the A&T fans come to a home game against Charleston Southern in mid-September? 
or will they save their money for homecoming and maybe you know an, another game that they, that they've that they've circled on their calendars? So those are the games that you have to worry about are the are the ones that people just aren't familiar with. You know, they're not familiar with Gardner Webb, they're not familiar with Charleston Southern, they're not familiar with you know uh, North Alabama. You know, th- those are those are going to be the interesting games, particularly home games that aren't linked to another event such as a homecoming. And one, the one thing the one thing we do know that will look that will look different is this is this will be the end of the celebration bowl for A and T. And that's that's gonna be a that's gonna be a hard pill for some people to swallow because the Yankees have sort of owned owned that game since its since its inception. They've won four of the first five of those things. They've been a financial windfall for the university and you know, that's something that that you give up. That's what I was gonna ask you about with, with the celebration bowl because that's I mean, I, I know people um at the beginning of every football season, say, "Well, I make my plans for Atlanta already." You know, it, it's almost a birthright that you're going to. This is going to be your game. You know, you're you're going and and you're going to be a participant. And now it's like, you know, what do we do now? You know, we're going to be. Do we? Do we yes, playoffs. Yeah. Right. You know, so now you have that to look at. Where now, whereas before, um, Ant has always done well in football. The last few years, they've done very well in football. Now they can actually participate in FCS playoffs. You know, so this is one of those things. It's one of the the give and takes. You know, you give up the the celebration bowl, but you're taking on national exposure, be able to play for a literal national championship, not just a black college championship. Mm-hmm. Yep. Selfishly, um, I think the celebration bowl is better than the FCS playoffs. That's a selfish take on my point. Um, I think most teams that end up in the FCS playoffs um, end up losing money on those uh, on those games because the you know up until the up until the finals those are home those are held at the um, home sites and you know there's just there's not as much of a TV exposure for them. I know that the Celebration Bowl typically because it's a nationally broadcast game on ABC that typically draws twice the audience of the FCS championship game. So you're 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 giving up some stuff financially in term when it comes to the FCS playoffs. Um, the FCS playoffs are, are tremendously fair and they're fun to watch in terms of you know it it, it, it crowns a legitimate national champion. But the road to get there is kind of you know kind of messy in terms of it ends up costing the school money, whereas the Celebration Bowl you're going to make money. Um, you win or lose the game, you're going to make money. You know, I just think that it's uh, you know that bowl game is going to be something that that, that I'm going to miss, and I think that, that I think that the A&T is going to miss. But you know, also by the, in fairness, that game didn't exist a few years ago, and the initial contract for that game was for six years. So this this is the last year of that of that uh, first deal. Um, I'm assuming it would be renewed, but that's an assumption. You, you never can tell for sure whether that game will be renewed. And also, you know, if you're if you're in uh, A&T spot, you can't guarantee that you're going to be in that game. You've got to win your league to get there. It's it's not a guarantee that you're going to go to the Celebration Bowl every year, so you can't bank on that money every year. Right. Well, uh, this Aggie will sit back and wait and see. Um, I'm hoping for all things good. I don't. I I have a dog in a fight, literally, but I don't know how to take it. So I'll just sit back and. And wait and see how it pans out. <laughs> well, Jeff, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you uh, with your input on this uh, topic as, uh, you know, Aggie Nation is just interested in knowing what's, what does this mean for the school going forward. So thank you for stopping by and, and bestowing this information. Thanks, Trey. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to talk to you. You too. Thanks. All right.